Ecclesiastes 4 today, verses 4 uh, through 12 then, these first two effects of sin on our work. Um, We've been seeing in Ecclesiastes, nothing in this sin-cursed world gives you an advantage in life because it's a sin-cursed world. Sin makes life's experiences difficult. Here, the effects of sin on your work. Verses 4 through 6. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. The first effect of sin that we see here, number one, is envy. Envy. Envy makes work a frustrating mystery. In verses 4 to 16, we have two, I will call, fun situations in the Hebrew text. We're only going to look at one today because the second one's verse 15, so we'll look at that next week. The first fun situation in the Hebrew text is in verse 4. Here, in the New King James, it's translated, it says, every skillful, for every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This can also be translated in this sense. People work because that work, that desire to work springs from envy of a neighbor. Do you see the difference? On the one, people see what you're doing and they envy you. And the other is, you're working because you're envious of others. So which is right? Well, the challenge is is both grammatically can be translated that way. So then I would say we have to look at the context. We have to look at the context. And the context of verses 4 to 6, it's not focusing on others. It's focusing on the worker. So I lean towards the correct interpretation or translation of this Hebrew phrase here is the idea of it springs from envy of. The worker, he works hard because he is motivated by an envy for his neighbor. It springs from an envy of his neighbor. And to express that, we have our first point under this. You gotta keep up with the Joneses. Remember that expression? Keep up with the Joneses? That helps, uh, helps us see what's being expressed by this. Um, men work because they're motivated by an envy for others. you got to keep up with the Joneses. What does that mean? Some of you young people might have never heard that expression before. Well, that means I must have what that person has. i got to have it. I do not want to seem less important I just have the second, third rate thing. I got to have that. I got to do that. I need to have the same lifestyle as everyone else. That's what this is talking about. And that's what motivates most people to work. So that I can have this. So that I can do that experience. So that I can look like everyone else and not stand off. So that I'm not cheated, but I have what everyone else has. Think about what's involved in work and career. 
from the very beginning. The first thing you need is education. You gotta learn. Now, is education needed? No, not necessarily. You could enter the workforce without education, but more often than not, the more you know, the more you can earn. And so people will devote tons of time, tons of money into education. Then there's learning the skills. It's one thing to have this, but then you got to learn the skills, how you're dealing with all these different things, whether it's something uh, physical or on a computer or dealing with finances uh, or on on an office scale, whatever it might be. It takes time to gain that skill. And the only way to get that is devote yourself to it. And then, then there's the aspect of just plain old toil and effort. You get the education, you get the skill, and you just need to keep plowing, working hard. Make that money so that you can keep up with whom? The Joneses. So that you're measuring up. More often than not, people work to get things they see they don't have and that others have. And what's that called? Envy. And that's what motivates people to work, to work hard. That is materialism. This has also been translated rightly as a rivalry. I see what they have and I see what I have. I not only need to keep up, I need to pass. I need to be better than they are. And so I'm going to toil and work and labor. And he says, this is a frustrating thing to grasp because is that why God created work? No, but I will address that when we get to the application of today's message, okay? Verses five to six, we have two Proverbs. And I put on your sheet, I describe this as two opposite solutions, cross-out solutions. A better word here would be responses. These are two different opposite responses. So here you see, okay, here's a fella. He's working his tail off so that he can keep up and pass the Joneses. And what's the problem with that? The problem with that is the Joneses see what you have. It might be the Smiths. We don't have any Joneses or Smiths here, so we're safe. The, the, you, the, the Smiths, you see what the Joneses have, so you work so you can pass them and then the Joneses are going to look at what you have and what's their attitude going to be. Well, they got the next grade. They got the, last, the, the, the most recent car, the most recent cell phone, whatever it is. We got to have that too. We're going to work harder. And it's a constant, what's the R word? Rivalry and envy that's going on here. And so how, what, what are the two different responses? The first response is verse 5, and this is the response of the fool. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Now, this is not talking about uh, self-cannibalism, okay? That's not what this is talking about. Uh, This is the attitude of, you know what? If the whole concept of education, the whole concept of work, if it's motivated by envy and rivalry, why bother work at all? I'm just going to stop working. Well, that's foolish, Because if you stop working, you will stop eating. And if you don't eat, what's your stomach going to do? 
it's going to growl. And eventually, your body needs energy. It's not getting the energy from outside. And so, where will it get its energy? From itself, you starve and you will starve to death. That's what this is talking about. The fool responds by saying, I'm not going to work at all. If that's what work is, if that's why people work, to get ahead, that's dumb. I'm not going to work at all then. I'm just going to lie around and take it easy. That's foolish as well because you will ruin yourself. The fool will never enjoy his work because he's avoiding it. The second response in verse 6 is the response of the wise person. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Quite a picture here. Better to have enough in your hand and you have a quiet, enjoyable, contented life. Keyword there, contented. Okay, A quiet, enjoyable, contented life then you've got so much going on that you can't enjoy it at all. God has told us in Ecclesiastes, he's given us work so that we will enjoy what he blesses us with. But if you're so busy with work because you're motivated by rivalry, envy, keeping up with the Joneses, you can't enjoy it. That's not right. Here is talking about a balance. Work, but don't kill yourself. Don't overwork in the process. There is a balance between living for work and living for, well, laziness. A difference between overwork and being lazy. Think about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he work hard? He sure did, didn't he? Did he ever take time to rest? He sure did. And if you need a passage, Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. He said to his disciples, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. Rest a while. That helps us see the purpose of rest is to gain the strength that we need and to enjoy what God's blessed us with. I summarize this first scene in this way. Envying others is a sinful motivation to work, making God-given work frustrating instead of satisfying. When you're motivated by envy and rivalry, keeping up with the Joneses, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to be wanting more. And that effect of sin, that robs you and it makes work frustrating because you're never there and you're always working until you die. A second effect of sin, number two, is selfish greed. Selfish greed. Selfish greed makes work a frustrating mystery. Verses 7 to 8, we read about a workaholic. So this is the guy who keeps working. The opposite of what you should be. Verses 7 and 8. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. 
He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches, but he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. We learn some things about this man. First thing we learn, beginning of verse 8, where it says, He's alone and without a companion. He has neither son nor brother. He's isolated. He is lonely. He is all on his own. A second thing. There is no end, verse 8, to all his labors. He's always working. He's isolated. He's alone. He's always working. A third thing we learn about him. It says, his eye is not satisfied with riches. He doesn't have a real purpose. He's isolated. He's always working. He doesn't have a real purpose. He never thinks, as it says here, he never thinks about why am I working? For what purpose am I working? He never stops to think and evaluate. Why am I doing this? He doesn't think about others. He thinks only about himself. How did he get to this point? This laboring, loner, as it were. How did he get to that point? Boy, have we seen this? Do we still see this today? Sure do. He sets his his eyes. How can I make money? Beginning of his life, or in the middle of his life, how can I make as much money as possible? That's what I need to do. That's the way to do it. Okay, that's the goal. How do I get to that goal? Well, I have to put in some work. I got to get education. I am not going to let anyone or anything get in my way. I'm going to finish my education. I'm going to build up my career. I'm going to get that position. And then once you're there, once you're at that position, can he just sit and enjoy the fruits of his labor? No, he has to keep working because he doesn't want to lose that position. He wants to hold that. There's a competition that's there. This, let me be clear, rabbit trail is not a sermon against capitalism. This is not a sermon for socialism or communism. That is wrong, and this is wrong. Do two wrongs ever make a right? No, they don't. Okay. In fact, I think I could make a biblical case for, uh, uh, if you will, capitalism. But I'm not going to go there right now. That may be a good another message to deal with at some point. Devoting your life to chasing after money is never fulfilling. That's what we see here. Devoting your life, chasing after money, it is never fulfilling. When you devote your life to chase after money, that is never fulfilling. You can hear it in this guy here. His eye isn't satisfied with riches. And yet he never stops to think and ask, why am I, who am I doing this for? And that is a frustrating thing because he's looking for meaning in this sin-cursed world. What's the solution? Verses 9 to 12. Don't, uh, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. Woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. If two lie down, they'll keep warm. 
How can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. What's the solution? The solution is this don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Life isn't about yourself, life isn't about money, it's not about position. Prestige or possessions. Remember what God said at the beginning before sin entered the world. God made Adam. And in Genesis 2.18, God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God not only created work, he created the workers. He made man and woman to work together as husband and wife in companionship. And doing life on your own, that is contrary to God's design. And when you do things contrary to God's design in God's creation, that's going to result in a frustrating existence. Do you see that? When you try to make, live your life in this world, contrary to what the Creator said, you will always be frustrated. You'll never have a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment, joy and true happiness, because you're going against the Creator in His creation. What are the advantages of companionship? We learned several here. Uh, if you're following along in your sheet, verse 9, two are better than one. They have a, great, a good reward for the labor. There is better profit. There's better profit from your labor. They have a good reward. Now, Genesis 2 is talking about marriage. It's not just marriage. It's family. It's community. You would also say here, your church body it's better profit from your labor. You will get more done. You'll get more accomplished. And you'll have more time for rest and more time for relationships. There's a second thing. Verse 10. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. You will have, number two, help. Help in time of difficulty. You have to have someone help you out of a problem that you can't solve by yourself. When you're sick, has anybody been sick? Oh, you're just down. You're feeling miserable. I need help. Help with work? Help with problems? What do I do in this circumstance? I will ask. Companionship and relationships provide this help that's needed. Number three, there's comfort, comfort, number three, in time of need. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Well, the smart aleck here might say, well, nowadays we have heated blankets. That's been one of the best birthday gifts I ever got, is a heated blanket. And not only a heated blanket, but one with dual controls, guaranteed to help your marriage. Because I like mine roasty-toasty, and then as soon as I get in, I turn it off. 
My wife, she has different opinions about where it should be. And we have applied the same thing in our car. Dual climate zones is necessary for a good marriage. I am fully convinced. Because I can crank mine up and turn mine down uh, however I want. And Trish can do with that. You know I'm joking, okay? What's this talking about here? In their day, how did you keep warm? You didn't go bump the thermostat up. You had a fire. That's how you did it. What about at night? We hear about two people lying together and we automatically conclude they're married. Well, that didn't always happen in the ancient Near East because they didn't have central heating. You're by yourself. You're freezing. You're going to be in another bed with someone else to help keep you warm through your body heat. But here's the point of this. Loners are cold and miserable. They are cold and miserable. They don't have someone to comfort them. Now this is said in a literal way. They're literally cold and bad because they're all by themselves. But it's true about their personality too. They're cold and they are miserable. You need companionship. You need godly relationships to give you this comfort. Number four, verse 12, it provides protection in time of danger. Protection in time of danger. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. People traveling would leave their town back in their days, and as soon as they got on the highways, they were in great danger. Highwaymen, robbers, They didn't have the safety protocols and things that we have in place now. That's the time to attack when they're alone. But if thieves and robbers see several together, they're a lot less likely to attack because there's strength in numbers. Safety in numbers. No matter what difficulty or challenge you go through in life, Going it alone is never a good thing. Summary of this section here. Selfish greed is a sinful motivation to work. Rejects, rejecting God's reasons for work, his reasons for work, and his good provisions in work. His reasons for work and his good provisions for work. We see the reason here, because the fool asks in verse 8, why am I working? I'm doing it for myself. That's not why you work. And then the provision for work is that of companionship. You have someone that's always there. Some points of application. This is on the back of your sheet here. You want to write some of these down. The first would be this. Points of application, we have envy and selfish greed. And what should be the response of people to that? Well, in a word, repent. You must repent of envy and selfish greed. If you don't know Christ, you need to repent of envy and greed. And you need to trust in Christ to forgive you that sin and to give you new life. Can you as a Christian want to keep up with the Joneses? 
Be motivated by rivalry? Kind of pull back and be by yourself? Yep. You need to repent of that and follow our Lord and depend on Him. Why has God given us work? What is God's purpose for work? Three things, real quick. Three purposes that God has given for work. Number one, to meet your needs. To supply your needs. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that you have your needs met. A second reason for work, I think this is in the book of Galatians, is so that you can help others. You're not only able to uh, gain enough money to help yourself, but you're, you're gaining money to help others. We as a church body have a responsibility to help those who are struggling, our brothers and sisters here. And when you're working, you're being careful with your money. You're not spending all your money on the latest and greatest thing, but you're being content with what you have. You're setting aside. You then have that money that you can use to help others also. A third reason for work is to support the cause of Christ. To support the cause of Christ. And we read about this throughout the New Testament in Colossians, in Philippians, in 3 John. How how Christians willingly, sacrificially gave of what the Lord had given them uh, so that the Gospels could go forth and Christians can be helped and edified. God's purpose for work is, number one, so that your needs are met, number two, so that you can help others, and number three, to support the cause of Christ. So, along that line, what do you think about the idea of keeping up with your neighbors? Well, what has God told us? What did God command Israel? And what has Jesus said is still true for us? You must love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Keeping up with your neighbors is contrary to loving your neighbor. It's the exact opposite. Your focus is on yourself and both these. Envy and selfish greed. Work hard, Christian. Don't be a men-pleaser. Please Christ in your work. Work hard. Thank the Lord for the financial provisions. There's nothing wrong with gaining money from your work. Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy 6, about wealthy Christians. But they do not put their hope in that. They use that to help others, to help the cause of Christ. Another point of application from verse 6. Chapter 4 and verse 6 here. Better a handful with quietness. And this would be, be content. Be content with what the Lord has provided you. Two passages here. One is on the front of your bulletin. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Paul was in jail. When he wrote that. And he expressed to the Philippians gratitude for their caring for his financial needs. But he said to them this. Whether I have nothing or whether I have everything, I have learned how to be content in both situations. Because my contentment isn't strengthened. Doesn't come from material goods. 
My ability, the strength to be content comes from Christ who is always with me. That's verse 13. I can do all things in these circumstances, whether poor or rich, through Christ who strengthens me. Another passage, let's turn to is 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy in your New Testaments. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And verse 6. First Timothy 6, 6 verse, through verse 10. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Christian, be content. This isn't saying don't work hard. It means be content. One last point of application from the text of Ecclesiastes 4 is this. You need others. You need others. You need, if you're married, you need your spouse. Don't do your occupation without your spouse. You need your spouse. You need your family. They are the God-given means for companionship. I've shared this before. When I was learning how to preach in classes in college and seminary, frequently the instructor said, never use personal illustrations. So I'm going to get a point knocked off because guess what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to give a personal illustration. But I'm not here really to get an A on a sermon. I want you to understand the point. And this is something that I saw and have learned in my own life. Going through college, the first two years, I was single. The last year, two and a half years, I was married. What do we learn here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4? In verse 9, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. Now, young people, do you think I could potentially be distracted as a married student from my studies? That's what many people think. And so don't get married while you're in school because you need to be focused on your schooling, much less with kids. I'm not saying this always happens. This was my experience. Every year in my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, every year, guess what happened with my grades? Every year. They never got worse. They always increased. They always got better. I learned it was harder. I was working full-time at a factory, 40 40 to 50 hours a week, being involved in my church. Had a wife when I started seminary. I had three and then four kids. It was busy times. 
sweating times, bloody times, lots of scars on my body from those factory days. I have had brothers ask me, Dan, do you regret doing that? I want to punch him in the face in a spiritual way. (laughs) Yeah, I regret marrying Trish. Guess who helped me through those years when I felt like quitting? Guess who encouraged me through those years? Guess who gave me joy when I was struggling? There's nothing like coming home from work or school absolutely exhausted and having kids, daddy's home, versus going to a dorm room (laughs) with another guy. And you're both single. And do I have to mention what kind of a smell comes through with two guys in a dorm room or three? It was hard. But through that God-given means of marriage and family, The Lord helped me. I have no regrets. In fact, quite the opposite. I commend marriage when the Lord provides a godly spouse. But then there's also our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church. There are times, as we say, when the, uh, how did Jesus say it, when the ox falls in the ditch, or was it your donkey? I can't remember. Uh, there's some times when it falls in the ditch on the Lord's day and you can't, you just can't come to church for whatever the case might be. Or the situation might be, I just, this is just something I need to do myself. My thing here is the tendency to individualism is not a 21st century phenomenon. It was going on here in Ecclesiastes 3,000 years ago. It's a human sin thing. And Christian, the Lord has given you your church body so that you will minister to them and they will minister to you. Don't go it alone. Invest yourself in your church body and they will encourage you. These are God's gifts to us to help you when you're down, to provide protection, All those characteristics, those four things that we learned there about companionship, that's what your church body will help you with. Let's thank the Lord for these things and ask his help uh, to avoid uh, those sinful things and to do what's right. Let's pray.